Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk a lot about Eberron and a little bit about really long fights in D&D. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, sirs, ma'ams, everybody that's out there, uh, all the audience, and this is another wonderful Saturday morning. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, we got lots, lots, of lots of stuff to talk about, lots of Eberron stuff to talk about, um, yeah. but uh, I, I put this out on Twitter. Actually, I put this out on every social media that I have, um, <laughs> that we want to get to 1,000 subscribers on the Saturday Morning D&D Show YouTube channel, so if you have friends that might be interested in it, um, if you have your grandmother's account and want to give us a sub, uh, we want to get to 1,000 subs. That would be really cool and it would just help the channel grow a little bit more um we're currently at 746 out of a thousand which is really good we got like 80 some subs in the last uh two days which is really cool so thank you everybody who's come out and sub hello new viewers if you're here for the first time welcome (laughs) that's really exciting um and yeah so it's really great and so that's my my plea to you is help help us help us in any way you can uh which would be really cool um yeah, we're a Saturday morning talk show podcast thing where we talk about D&D news and then our games and how to become better dungeon masters, learning from our mistakes, etc., etc. Uh with that, let's jump into the news of Dungeons and Dragons and the news is Eberron rising yes. from the last war. Um a lot of controversy about the cover. Like people did not like people like the alternate cover, but they don't like the main cover. And then Wizards of the Coast came out and said, well, that's not the actual cover. That's just placeholder art. And I wonder if they said that because they realized all of the negative feedback they got from the cover. And they're just like, well, we'll just we'll do we have time to design a new cover. It's it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Do you think they were backpedaling or is that not actually like uh, why did they make yeah. the announcement because Amazon leaked? Yeah. It? And so they were yeah. like, well, it's leaked. So we have to make the announcement. Oh, that's not the actual art. And they weren't planning on releasing it this early. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're a company, I think, and I could be wrong, most of you could be right, because I think there's a large group of people that believe that too, that, oh, they're getting a bunch of backlash. They're going to listen to it. Even the way Greg Tito kind of said something about it in his um, video earlier this week made it sound like that was the official cover and they're listening to feedback and maybe it might get changed kind of thing. But what I think was true, and I believe Jeremy Crawford, he does has never come across to me, somebody who would kind of uh, spin a falsehood to us for any reason. He seems pretty open and honest, but I also think like this is a, a product they have um, in the works for probably more than a year at this point and they already have stuff mapped out and to do that they have to have all of their artists in line and they have to hire an artist to do the cover and they pay them more than they pay like the interior artists you know those like that cover is going to get probably quite a bit more um money so it doesn't surprise me if that cover isn't done yet that they still have to provide something to amazon for their fake page until it's ready to go live and it wasn't even supposed to go live yet. So there wasn't even a chance for them to switch the image mm-hmm. when it was ready to go. So if Amazon hadn't leaked it, and we don't even know when the official release date would have been, it could have been months from now. They could have had the cover done. They could have had all of the media change. But for whatever reason, you, I assume if you're going to put stuff on those big websites, you have to submit pretty far ahead or you you're locking in your spot or whatever it's doing. Yeah, but... Using kind of place it, placeholder stuff. I'm remembering for Descent into Avernus, that one popped up. And so that was during the whole uh, stream in California that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it popped up on Amazon, but it literally was like future Wizards of the Coast uh, adventure. Cat, mm-hmm. stop it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um <laughs> But it's like future Wizards of the Coast Adventures. So that one, they they changed the title. They didn't have cover art for it, but it was still on Amazon until they were able to release it 
when they wanted to during the stream. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, well, why didn't they just do that again? Like that, mm-hmm. that, that part doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know, maybe somebody dropped the ball somewhere and this is what's happening. But like, yeah, uh, yeah. it was, I don't know. And I would have believed that right up until I read Jeremy's Twitter. Like if you read the actual message he put out, yeah, he says it's not the official art. Yeah. That is an interior art piece. There is an official cover art for it. So I don't think he would say that if they're just, there's no reason just to say, Oh, you know, okay, we've heard your feedback and we're going to go ahead and make a change. And I thought the feedback was a little harsh anyways. I mean, the covers are pretty good and some of the different designs are better than others. And some are like the, the alternates are always way better in my opinion than the, than the originals, probably for most of them, there might be one or two you could give a good argument for. Um, I didn't really find anything too wrong with the the thing to to create such a, a Twitter uproar over it. Well, but and, apparently, and then there was just like it. there was people that were like upset about all of the covers for Fifth Edition. They're just like, I don't understand why we have these like pictures with the the text on it. Like it was really good in three point five when they looked like tomes. You know, they looked like they yeah. were like the old magical tomes for you. And I was like, I don't know. It's never bothered me. But all of a sudden, people have very strong opinions about all of this. But I don't know. Yeah, it, it reminded me of I was watching Adam Coble stream Secret of Mana. And before he started, this is like the re-release of Secret of Mana on the Switch, maybe. Mm-hmm. But before he even started playing, he went into um, how much he hated the S. Or no, it was the F in of, Secret of Mana. And how much he hated the the way the F was designed, the way it curved, like how it was just a terrible, terrible piece of art and all this other stuff. And it was literally... 30 to 40 minutes of him going on and on about how much he disliked the font of secret of mana. And then Mm -hmm. he started playing the game and I thought that was really interesting. And I'm like, man, maybe I'm just not a a design specialist. And so I can't see the intricacies of like why this is bad uh, design or not, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. I I personally was kind of like, man, it looks like a, like the, it just didn't look like a flashy, awesome cover, but Mm -hmm. um but I wasn't, I didn't hate it, I guess. I just kind of, yeah, I yeah. want the internal content more than I want like a flashy cover, I guess. But yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of good chat coming on both, both channels at the moment about it. And I think the thing that I kind of sat back with was one, if you, if it is, if it is the cover and that was the one they release and they just stick with it, although it sounds like they are not. Um, to me, it doesn't look so different that it wouldn't fit in with the rest of the D&D books. I don't think it's of the same quality maybe i'm not not even that it's, I, I don't think it's the same kind of art style that we've been seeing in all the other books because it almost feels like those covers are done by the same person using a very kind of cohesive style that they always create stuff in so when you get all of the books next to each other they kind of seem like you know they they all come together like they should it's a big set of books yeah. that should resemble each other in some way um, but the one thing I did notice is, again, and this is internet culture in in general, when we don't like something or it's something that we personally doesn't seem to grab us, the, the, the idea to go and just go full nuclear on it seems to be, you know, still kind of the thing that happens. So like you can say that art isn't something I like, but that doesn't mean that's a terrible art or it's bad art or it's it's horrendous, you know, because the artist that made that actually is doing better than I could ever. I couldn't do anything like that, even remotely, if I tried to draw something. So there's quality there. It just may not be something that's the person who's looking at. That's not the type of art you like. You like a different style of art and that's fine. But to say that like the art is crap or it's really bad or it's, you know, this, I think that was a little bit overboard for that. I think you can say what, how you feel about it, but not necessarily call it you know, terrible art or whatever it is. Cause I don't know. And I guess, unless you're an artist, maybe then you have the qualifications to say, yeah, this is terrible. They should have done a better brush stroke here or a better well, coloring. I, and option I, I want to go back to the design. Cause I think a lot of people weren't saying like this person's an, not a talented artist. Like clearly yeah. they are able to paint something, but just the design of it was really weird. And I think a lot of designers were on board with just kind of how, um, I don't know. But then I was thinking like the other covers, you know, you have a cover to evoke an emotion, 
And like you think about the monster manual really evokes an emotion of the monster manual because you've got this giant beholder coming at you and people are running away from it. You know, the the mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tomb of Annihilation has uh, a big scary face on the cover and, and a Sarak and things like that. And um, like Volo's Guide to Monsters, I think, is a great one where you have a giant monster and he takes up most of the, you know, they're, my point is, is they're evoking an emotion and this cover did not really evoke an Eberron-esque emotion. It didn't really, like, the, the alternate cover very much does. It feels like Eberron to me. But this cover didn't. So I'm curious. Anyway, I'm long story short, I'm curious about what the new cover will be and how it will evoke that Eberron feeling. Will it be just a giant war forged on the cover? Or will it be, like, City of Sharn and all this other stuff? Will, it, will be, there be, like, a changeling in the background, you know? Um, I don't know. I just think... I'm curious because that's obviously what they're trying to go for with, uh, with that. So. Yeah. It felt to me like a very similar art style to the actual Wayfinder's guide to Eberron. But if you look at that cover, which isn't a book, but it's a PDF and they have a cover for it, it does show at least uh, a train. One of the, yeah. what do they call them for the, they have a name for it. Lightning rails. I think lightning rail stuff. They show, the front prow of an airship and then they show um the the class that i think everybody kind of thinks of as eberron the warforge yeah. right so you've got the three elements that kind of says that and that's old art still... i think that's 3.5 art that they just yeah that like, still yeah. seems like art that you know would um similar to the other one i just think maybe it was the characters they chose or I thought people were even saying they didn't like the way the Warforge looked different or it wasn't the way they thought it should yeah. look. Or they just, I, I was just like, but how do we, you know, what do we know of as the Warforge? How are they described? And can't they really be like, what does your Warforge look like in, in the one you play? Does it look like these pictures or have you modified it to look like something you want it to look like? Um, I just have him as, uh, I found a piece of Warforged art from 3.5 that I really liked, or maybe it's fourth edition. Yeah. I don't remember. And I kind of just picture him as that with like bulked cause he's, he's a juggernaut Warforged. So he's got more armor and things like that. So I just kind of picture him as this like more hulked up version of the picture that I had, but no, he's got, he's got a sword and a shield and I don't know. Yeah. And, and glowing red eyes. That was important to me, I guess, for some reason. <laughs> cool. Do they change color for, for when your mood changes? No, no, he doesn't have <laughs> mood ring eyes. So, uh, but yeah, it was, but he doesn't blink. I thought that was fun yeah. too. So, but cover controversy aside, I mean, that's sort of the news, but the real news is obviously the we book, get an Eberron yeah. book. We're going to get it. November 19th is the release I heard. Um, I heard that the book's about 320 pages long which i believe is somewhere near just about twice the size or just under twice the size of the wayfinder's guide to eberron and that makes um, sense think... if they have a lot of the eber and that's the other controversy is are they going to have the wayfinder's guide information just plopped into this book and if they are it kind of makes sense that it's double the the pages because they're adding an adventure and they're adding a bunch of other stuff to it. So it kind of makes sense, but uh, I don't know. Like, do, do you, do you think that's what it is? Are they going to be separate books or are they going to take the the stuff from that PDF, which uh, they talk about Sharn and I think Sharn is a city. Well, Sharn wow. is a city in Corvair, but it is uh, in the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron and a lot of information about Sharn is in that, are they going to just take that information and plop it into Rising from the Last War? Yeah, I think the way the videos that you could see out on Dungeons & Dragons uh, this week and D&D Beyond and that kind of stuff, it made it sound like there would be plenty of stuff that was in the Wayfinder's Guide that makes its way into this book, but it also sounds like there's a lot more, and they're going to go back and update the wayfinders guide pdf with some of the new mechanics so there will be some changes to that pdf which will obviously be free to yeah. you to use also so i think it's going to be a combination of some reprint information with plenty of extra information to make it feel like it's a book you can purchase and you didn't you're not losing out you're not getting cheated if you happen to have both of them right but they're yeah. going to have um a bunch of of pages on on building adventures because that was part of the Eberron experience. You didn't buy an Eberron 
adventure to run, you bought a campaign setting that'll that let you build up how to run an adventure in this world, which is really cool. Um, but what surprised me is they are including a first level adventure. Mm. Um, and I want to know, is that going to be one to five or is that just level one? Cause they say a first level adventure. Yeah. I what does seen that, that mean? Yet. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. So, but I thought that was really cool. An introductory adventure into the world of Eberron. You start in the city of Sharn and you have a, an adventure. So I think that'll, it seems like it's really cool because they're going to give you, here's all the world building mechanics and here's basically a diving board. You can jump off using this adventure and then go wherever you want to go in, in the world of, of Corvair, which sounds pretty cool. So I'm really excited. Um, the artificer is only going to have three subclasses instead of the four that we're playtesting right now. So one of them's getting nixed. And I think the alchemist is the least popular from a survey that I saw which is really weird because that's my favorite one. So I'm just like, why is that the least popular? I don't understand. And my poor player in my salt marsh campaign, who's we're testing the artificer right now. That's the, the subclass he chose to pick too. And he's like, what the hell? Like, that's like the coolest one. I'm like, I know. And so I don't know. It's really interesting. But it's good that we are getting a new class, which is cool, in an Eberron book. That's kind of the first new, that's one of the big things they were talking about, is the first new class we've seen in five years. We've seen lots of subclasses, we've seen lots of other things, Mm. um, but not a brand new class. And we know they're working on another one also, because we the one that they keep going back with the mystic or the psionic kind of person, that's another one that we've seen play tested here or there. And I assume will come out in a, in a book later on at some, probably point. not this book, but definitely. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. think this one, but I think they would have one class edition. Um, but that's interesting because then is that class, because we know that there is a Eberron adventure league where you play in the Eberron world using the Eberron stuff does that mean we won't get Artificer as an option in regular Adventure League, non-Eberron Correct. campaign? So I, I'm guessing I, that is no. I'm guessing that the, it's it is very separate. Like I can't. Yeah. So I want to play a dwarf wizard, and there is a dragon marked dwarf in Eberron that has uh, plus intelligence, and I'm like, oh well, that is how I can make my dwarf wizard like have that much more kick because I mm-hmm. need that plus intelligence for, for wizard. I could not take that dwarf to forgotten realms adventure league, like regular adventure league, because even though he's like technically balanced because of the, um, the dragon marks and things like that. So it's not just a matter of like, well, there's a dwarf here and a dwarf here. I'll just pick this like dwarf. No, they won't let you do it from what I was reading. Um, so you can't play a Warforged in forgotten realms. You can't do that. And so it's kind of, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. But I wonder if they make some type of exception for a class. Because I, it is a class. I doubt it. Yeah. Like it's okay. I think it's very tied to Eberron. That class is and they're I'm and I'm remembering an interview. I'm remembering an interview where they said that they won't they don't necessarily want to make new classes unless it's for a campaign setting. So because yeah. the Artificer is for a campaign setting, they're building it, and I think that's going to be tied to that campaign setting. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't fit in the world of, uh, like, like mechanics. And th- I mean, I guess Lantan is uh, is an area of the Forgotten Realms that's very, like, industrial and, and well, technology and stuff. I mean, yeah, you have gnomes and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't I mean, think that... Modrons opinion, think and constructs and... All that kind of stuff. So I, I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be interesting for them not to let you use the new class in a in an official campaign. In a non Eberron campaign? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping because I loved playing my my artificer with those little turrets. I loved it. I mean, that was such a great and creative class. It'd be a shame if you couldn't have that also in Venture League. But uh, and that's the big thing. We're still hearing lots of information not to jump off Eberron quite yet, but there is still working on the rules for Adventure League. They still are not set in stone yet. and We still have not seen the finalized versions of that. Once we do, we'll definitely bring them to you. There's, we know they're still working on them at this point. Mm-hmm. But so any other cool stuff with Eberron? Because you're really our Eberron fan here. I'm kind of just uh, I like the idea of it, but I've never really played it. I don't know if I will grab it and run a game in it. I've not 
wanted to run a game in it um, so much. It hasn't grabbed me like it has you, but as far as you, a fan who loves this, yeah. how are you feeling about this? No, I'm, you- I'm stoked because uh, uh, we're going to have this first level adventure. And I think, I think the whole, I get a feeling just from reading the things that I've read about the book so far, all the, the, the press releases and stuff is that you're, you're kind of encouraged to explore the Mornland and the Mornland is where this like cataclysmic catastrophe happened that stopped the the war so there was a i think it's a hundred year war maybe longer these people are are these different factions have been warring and the warforged were created for that war in the last like two or three years of the war and then this mm-hmm. this atomic bomb went off in the mornland which has created weird magical radiation all these problems and i say atomic bomb not a literal bomb but something happened that that caused it. And so I think the adventure is you're going to be going into and exploring the Mornland. And that's the beauty of Eberron is we don't know what that is. And it's always up to the DM to create it. Like what, what was this, this atomic bomb that went off? What was this cataclysmic event? Like it's up to you as the dungeon master. Was it a, a rogue warforge that when they get too old, they explode or something like that. And so the very first warforge they ever created went there and died somehow, or is it, um, was it some kind of political intrigue? And it was this other nation that came in and, and destroyed the Mornland using some new weapon. But the war ended because everybody didn't know what happened and they were too scared to keep fighting because they didn't want it to happen to them. Uh, so I like that it's up to the dungeon master to kind of figure that out. And we'll see if this adventure keeps with that theme in that they're like, here are some possibilities, but really it's up to you how you want to do this. So, um, I, I, I like the, the world a lot and I like airships and I like, I like Magitech technology stuff, mag- magical technology. So, uh, Eberron's totally up there. Um, another really cool, oh, go ahead. And I guess that's the question, like, what type of stories are you going to be able to tell in Eberron that you feel like you weren't able to really tell in, say, Forgotten Realms? Like, um, you needed another setting to be able to tell this style of story. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I think with a creative DM, you could tell just about any story you want in any campaign setting. But like, uh, like, if you want to have like a dirty street undercover cop solving murders in Waterdeep, I think you can do that. But you could also do that in um, in Corvair, in uh, Eberron. Um, mm-hmm. I just think Eberron lends itself to, uh, it. I don't know, it's like a flavor of ice cream. Like you kind of mm-hmm. read this book and you're just like, no, like I want to have a thing there. And I was even talking to some of my players um, and they were they were like, well, we want to play in an Eberron game because they, they like the idea of these trains and that there's this whole history that they're not really aware of yet where they kind of, they, I don't know, maybe you just get to a point where you're like, I'm kind of tired of chocolate ice cream. I'm tired of the Forgotten Realms. I want to try mint ice cream over here with, with Eberron. And you're still eating ice cream. You're still playing D&D, but it just kind of reinvigorates you to playing in a new campaign setting. So um, I don't know. And, and Dark Sun was very much like magic, you know, Eberron, magic good. We can use magic for all these things. Like, it's awesome. You have something like Dark Sun, which is, I feel, the antithesis of that, where it's like magic bad and mm-hmm. it's destroyed the world. Um, but you have some Forgotten Realms is kind of in the middle where there are some people that are like, I don't know, I don't like that evil wizard that's up on the hill raising skeletons. But at the same time, there are people that use cantrips to sweep their kitchen. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. Does that answer your question? I don't even know if yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to think. And when you said that, that the one thing that the thought that jumped in my mind was very interesting is, Forgotten Realms is loosely magic only. Eberron is magic meets technology mm-hmm. and how that can work together. And then like Dark Sun is um, the absence of magic and technology yeah. for the most part. Because it's very primitive. It's very tribal. It's very post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It's very desert feeling. You know, there's like survival is is what everybody's trying to do the most of. Yeah. And then your stuff's happening in the middle of that. So yeah, it is the absence of technology and great amounts of magic. So that's an interesting way to think of those, those three settings. It's kind of cool. So you could tell those kinds of different, different stories or the idea of just a technological 
civilization who can do wondrous things that actually seem like magic. Like we're, we're talking to each other over thousands of miles on a video monitor and we're broadcasting it to other people who want to watch it. That's magic to a medieval society, right? Yeah. So it's this idea of technology meeting real magic, which is somebody who can throw a fireball or somebody who can, you know, change their form or can do cool druidy stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what would we do with that? Now that we have technology and we have magic, what kind of even crazier wondrous things could you even do with that? So No, and just in harnessing the planes, like you have the plane of fire, the plane of this, and it's like we're going to harness, like mm -hmm. using the history of this world, we're going to harness that for technological means. And so you have like like lightning rail uh, uh, railroads and you have um, like hot air balloons that have a, a permanent fire on the inside of them because you've just opened up a little hole to the plane of fire, you know, and that's how that balloon works. And so it's really cool. Um, another aspect of this book is going to have group patrons, which I think is an interesting idea, which mm -hmm. is a background for your entire adventuring group. Um, not a warlock patron. It's a, it's basically a background. Like you take your individual background, but this one will be for your entire adventuring group. Um, and it's, we don't know much about it right now, but it's supposed to have some weighty mechanics for your group. Like you all work for this organization or you work for this university, um, which kind of sounds a little bit like acquisitions incorporated, but it's the idea that you, you are all together as a group, um, under some kind of banner. Mm -hmm. um, and not one that you forge yourself, but rather one that you select from the, the Eberron book itself. And so that's, again, we talk a lot about, like, even though you might not run an, an Eberron adventure, that could be a cool mechanic to steal for your home game, is the idea mm -hmm. that your players have this, this group background, um, which I thought was really cool. So, yeah. So, like, a different narrative explanation of your adventure. We're not just, we all met right. at a bar randomly. Yeah. Decided we, we were to all summoned by the king separately to work yeah, together. Yeah. It's the and maybe that is it, but but that gives you some statistical benefits because it is like yeah. well, you all have this like working for the king background now, and working for the king allows you to do X, Y, and Z. So yeah, very cool. Can we leave? Okay, one second. Um, obviously, the founder of the the actual setting itself winning, I think they said it was back in 2006 or 2007, back when they won that contest. I wonder if they'll ever do that contest again. I think it'd be cool to see with the popularity rising as big as it is now, it's got to be two, three, I don't even know what the size is, 10 times the size is what it was when they ran that contest to figure out what the next setting was and it became Eberron and he won it. Imagine that contest today with all the creatives and all the people that have gotten into the community right now, how big that would be if they said, hey, we want a brand new, never done before um, fifth edition campaign, and we're going to have a contest to figure out who in our audience, who of our community is going to help build that. Man, that would be such a cool thing to do right now at the peak of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, and, I feel yeah. maybe we're not at the peak. Maybe we're still climbing and we got ways to go, which is super cool for all of us that are huge fans. But wouldn't it be great if that happened now to see what kind of creativity and what kind of craziness would come out? Because there's so many good RPGs right now about so many good worlds that just grab you. I can't even imagine what we would get. So, no, it's That's interesting. The idea of like, using the fifth edition mechanics build a campaign setting that highlights those mechanics as mm -hmm. opposed to trying to make it fit in the forgotten realms and they've done a really good job of making fifth edition fit into the forgotten realms but uh it's it's and for a lot of people and myself included fifth edition kind of feels like the forgotten realms because that's all the published content that's been out for it but but i agree with you if they were to make one from the ground up and just be like how can we you know monks are like this in this world and and dragonborn mm -hmm. are like this in this world that would be really really interesting really cool so yeah and an amazing time to do it now because just because of the popularity i just think that would just explode with how big and cool it could be well yeah so I, it's a cool i mean it's a cool it's cool to make new campaign settings and i think it could be really interesting especially like with warlocks like we're always kind of trying to fit warlocks into these campaign settings because they never had warlocks before mm -hmm. um mechanically and so now it's like well what if you emphasized warlocks in a way and and that would just i don't know 
uh, it would be really cool. So I agree with you. I think yeah. that'd be cool. Um, and then the last but not least, like I, we, it I, goes I, without I saying, but Keith Baker is, is contributing yeah. a lot to this book. He is the father of Eberron. So that's really cool. Yep. That's how we got to the contest while you were shooing animals oh, out. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> animals yeah, everywhere. Jeremy Crawford like... definitely led the, the grouping and we saw a name, James Wyatt, which we have seen all over. He's on Twitter quite often too. Um, really into the D and D scene. And there were definitely a number of freelance people and Greg Tito didn't say the name on his video, but he mentioned that somebody who's written a couple of Eberron books also contributed to this book. So there's obviously some novels out there. I didn't know that uh based yeah. on the Eberron world i didn't yep. realize that so yep there are some novels wow. i would actually novel. i have a couple of them on my kindle that are waiting to be read but uh we'll see yeah, cool maybe this book will reinvigorate me and i'll be like i need to consume <laughs> all of the Eberron content so other stuff that was going on i think they weren't necessarily ready for that and they wanted to get stuff back on track so a lot of the lore you should know is in the dragon talks that happened this week i recommend you all go and watch them we won't go into them too deep here as we've already talked a ton about Eberron. Um, but they tried to swing it back into, because we still have Descent into Avernus is coming out. So we had uh, Denizens of Avernus. They talked about some of the main characters that you're going to find there um, with Adam Lee, who's a very knowledgeable and part of the, the collaborative team that created this one. Um, and then they talk about Candle Keep and how it kind of um, fits into the world. And then bringing it back around to how it's going to fit in the adventure a little bit or, and some of the things that might happen mm. there. So those are two lore you should know is you can go ahead and take a look at. Those are pretty good. They're about 20-ish minutes long. They weren't too bad. They did do a dragon talk, which was good, where they were they wanted to talk about Baldur's Gate again. And though I have not watched that entire thing, I started watching it this morning. The first couple of things that I grabbed out of that, just to throw out the date so we all remember that September 17th is the date that we see this. So really... We're not that far out from it. So we're about to have a new book on our shelves here pretty quick, even though we just got announced the Eberron book. Um, and the one thing I noticed from the part of the video I did watch was that they started development or they came up with the concept back in 2017. So two years ago is how far ahead their pipeline of stuff they're doing is. So that's amazing to me that right now the stuff that they're working in 2019 we probably won't actually see until or the stuff they're starting to develop or the or they're like today is a, a meeting where you say okay two years what's from now what's, where we're going or you know 2021 what, yeah. yeah 2021 so that's just amazing to me but cool for us as fans to know that there's so much in the pipeline for for them to get to us um and then the other thing that was really interesting about that is the original mock-up of that, the original design of the story had nothing to do with Baldur's Gate. It had to do with you were out on an adventure, just could have been anywhere. You were doing a thing, and then you got sucked into this whole what's going on in Avernus thing. And it could be, probably could have taken place anywhere. But then they were gonna, they found out about the game that was coming out, and they wanted to do a, a, a slight tie into that. So they went back and reworked how that was going to work, and, and they tried to just make it fit with what they already had. And they got to the point where they said, just can't do it. We're starting over. We're just going to scrap that. And we're going to we're going to start with Baldur's Gate, knowing that's the focal point, And we're going to build it from there and build a good story from there. And it sounds like the first couple levels of stuff you do will be in Baldur's Gate. You don't get to Avernus right away is, is what it sounds like. So um, just some more information. I'm excited for this book still. I'm big on the idea of the blood war. I can't wait to find out more about it. I love the idea of war machines and a Mad Max style campaign. Um, it feels like this would be a good kind of change from the other campaigns I've been running at some point, you know, to go to this style of a campaign. Um, and I really like this idea of the currency of soul coins and demons fighting devils and characters picking the lesser of two evils. They're still evil. And you're still helping evil in one way or another, but you're trying to justify your actions by saying, well, these ones are less evil than these ones are. I'm doing it because of this reason when really it's still a bad reason all in the mm -hmm. first place. So I love that idea of um, that style of a campaign. So I'm glad I'm going to be able to grab some of that stuff and either put it in my homebrew or maybe even run it. I had a, I might be playing in it. I had LB Hackamup was talking about 
maybe doing a campaign where she would dungeon master it. Oh maybe man, ahead of myself, but uh, and she was going to start looking around. So I don't want to force her. I don't want her to feel like she has to do it because we no, said it. You here. have she's to do it, LB. Yeah, she's definitely looking around for it. And I was like, oh, this would be good if I can get into it. So that sounds it awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's so really cool. So that was the big thing. So that was on Dragon Talk. Um, and you had Chris Perkins and you had Adam Lee. And they do a deep dive into this whole Descent and Avernus stuff. And they talk a lot about the stuff that's happening there. The characters, the storyline that's going on, the war machines, the Infernal War Machines, all this stuff. And um, I felt like it was, if you're really into it, these are some good videos to watch this week over on their channels to, to catch up on. Um, are you going to play in descent or you got your players looking forward to playing in descent are you gonna you know, skip over that we haven't one? talked about it um but i think i'm going to use it for my my sunday uh they're in the Shadowfell right now game we're actually going to probably play tomorrow we haven't played D that game in like months because of other games that we were playing um but i was thinking of i'm going to read descent into avernus and see if that's a good jumping point to getting them to go to hell um to the nine hells and see what's there but uh i have no plans as of yet to like start it from beginning to end and just kind of run it um but i i think i'm going to pick it up and and pull the information that i want from it because it it just looks really cool like i don't know like it feels like tomb of annihilation when that was coming out i was just like i have to get this book and i had no plans of really running it but i just really liked the idea of it i thought the story was cool i thought chult was neat like we're going to these different places um whereas like Storm King's Thunder, really good adventure, but did not have that hype for me. Because I'm like, oh, another Sword Coast adventure. Like, I don't know. Okay. Like, you go to Waterdeep. You go to here. Like, it just kind of was like... And Waterdeep Dragon Heist, I guess, is another one where I was like, well, that's cool. And I wasn't, like, super stoked for it. But um, but I am really excited for this. And maybe it's the the planner travel. And that's kind of why I'm excited. Wow. But, like, I, I definitely am going to pick it up. I don't know if I'm going to run it in its entirety, but I'm probably going to steal a bunch of stuff from it. So <laughs> cool. So other news to keep it just in everybody's mind. I know uh, D&D Essentials has been making its rounds. For those of you that didn't buy it from Target already, I just thought I'd mention to you that September 3rd is when it should be on regular store shelves. Mm-hmm. So again, that's in what a week and a half, maybe two weeks at this point. Um, so it's very close if you're looking to pick up that box set and, and a lot of people are still raving about being able to play this with one dungeon master and one player. So basically a two player version of it using those rules that should open it up for a lot of us that really want to introduce this game to people who haven't played before, because you don't necessarily have to get a big group. You don't have to get a a work around a whole bunch of schedules. If you're only working around two people's schedules, versus say six people schedules that's a big difference and Mm. maybe you can get to play more maybe you can craft the story to make be really cool for that one player um because you can really focus in on on their background story and give them cool challenges and the magic items can be really relevant to what they are and you know you could really handcraft a story like that because you only have that one other player there so that's very interesting have you picked up your I copy? I think it'd be cool. I have not. I'm waiting for okay. it to be at my game store. I always support my local game okay. store. Although I should go to Target. There's no reason not to go to Target. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of our... Uh, so I have some friends that are that are just like, well, I kind of want to try and get my spouse into D&D. Um, and I was saying, like, I was like, well, the Essentials Kit is kind of made for that because it's one-on-one. You guys could play... Because it's one-on-one, you could play for an hour. And if they get bored, you can move on to something else. Or you could play for four hours if they're really into it. And and you play on your schedule, so you're not trying to get, like, five people together to play a game of D&D and stuff like that. And so I was like, I was like, go mm-hmm. check out the Essentials Kit because that's kind of what it's designed for, I feel. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super interested because my nephew, um, he is... 17 now he's never played i've just started getting him into playing board games and i'm thinking the next thing i want to try is let's see if if i can get the D bug in him right you know let's see if he's even interested he may or may not be but i think the D essentials box that will give me a better chance of a nice introduction um use sidekicks and, and npcs to help you know flesh out the stuff and just have a really fun cool adventure um and i wouldn't say maybe it's not meant for you know, a five-year campaign, although maybe there are people that are going to do that, but it definitely could be short 
campaign, five, six, seven session campaign mm-hmm. to get somebody introduced, even a one-off if you need to, to get people just kind of up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, and if you're brand new and you've never played at all, you've only been hearing about it and you're a dungeon and you're, you've decided, well, I'll run the game and I'm going to find a couple of my friends at work who've never played either. And none of us have played. I think this is the I want. The, mm-hmm. instead of trying to figure out which book should I buy and which one should I have at the table and then trying to read all those to figure out how this whole thing works, that box set gets you up and running quickly um, from everything that, that has been reported on. And when I buy it, I will definitely go back through and do a real review of it and take a look at the actual contents. And from a dungeon master standpoint, say, yeah, this would have helped me get up and running or well, maybe they're, they're, um, a little wishful thinking here. You need a little bit more, but I think that box set is exactly what you need. And the the Fandelver Adventure is still really good. A lot of people still stand by the original mm-hmm. box set, also as a as a good entry point into Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. So, no, I think it's yeah. I I think that's uh, I like Lost Minds of Fandelver a lot. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed. I want to read this one. I don't know if I want to pick it up because I don't. I don't think I'm going to run it. Um, and I, I don't know. So I'm just kind of like, I don't think I'm going to run it. I don't think I'm going to steal anything from it, but like, it's a Chris Perkins adventure. It's gotta be good. We get to that a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Jordan's going to get it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Subscribe to YouTube. Do. Once we hit a thousand, I'll do an unboxing video. How I'll about go that? get it. <laughs> Other than that, if any of you are uh, fans of the idol champions of the forgotten realms, which I'm a huge fan, I tried to get Jordan into it, but he wasn't really like it. that style. I don't like uh, it. <laughs> I love it, and I know Cyberwolf plays it. I know Indoor Adventure plays it. I see a bunch of people playing it all the time. You can get Jim Dark Magic finally in your roster. So come on. You got wands with um, – I think he's always firing off a magic missile from his two wands of magic missile yeah. firing or whatever. Did you know that in Acquisitions Incorporated, they added a new spell called Jim's Magic Missile? I did see yeah. that. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. And so he's got this extra spell, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um I saw it because I was creating a character on D&D Beyond and it showed up there. And I'm like, yeah. oh, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty good. So I think that's about our news. Definitely um, grabbed by the Eberron release. Still building up to the Descent to Avernus. Um, I know there's still, I think there might still be, maybe that's the last big announcement that we're going to get for this year. Um, I knew they kept hinting at one but maybe the eberron one is the last big announcement but we'll see every now and then they sneak something else in right before that christmas time that gets us all excited about stuff but the jim zub stuff is still out there we've got the rick and morty kind of things are coming out the box sets and the comics and all that stuff um there's one more um young adventurers book coming out and then the fourth one will come out next year sometime early um so those are the big releases that we're seeing lots of stuff in september november we will see DD product wise um, but other than that, I think we can, I think we should just jump in to find out what in the world happened in Jordan's gaming. Cause he told us there was going to be a lot of cool stuff last week. Oh man. But let's see if it happened. So what so, happened in gaming for Jordan? Well, so we had a six hour combat and that's what I want to talk about. Cause you like combat. Love it. Love it. Uh, do you like, do you like six hours of combat? Yeah. <laughs> so Give we, we call. split it up over two uh sessions we had two three-hour sessions but we had a six-hour game of just combat and that was the epic finale of this um Mm -hmm. and i even talked to my dungeon master and i'm like can i talk about this because i'm like like i had a lot of fun but it was exhausting and i kind of just wanted to like that's what i wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. um we we had wave after wave of enemies trying to assault this keep that we sorry this temple that we were protecting um and it started out with like the this drow and a bunch of other, like this drow matron mother and her drow minions. And then the drow matron mother summoned a demon. And then she opened a portal to the nine hells and a balor came out. And so we had all of these monsters to just like deal with that were crushing us. Um, and then a dragon fell from the sky at like half of its hit points. And we had to defeat this dragon. And so it was it was a lot of high tension. But it was so much thinking and so much math and we had NPCs that we were also controlling because we had our own army that was helping us. And mm-hmm. so they were attacking the drow and we everybody had multiple characters. Um, and it just got really... Uh, I, I want to emphasize that I had a lot of fun and it did feel very epic. But after that first three-hour session and coming back knowing we had like another 
probably two gonna be three hour session to have of combat to, to actually defeat our foe um was just exhausting like it mm-hmm. was just so much and when we finally won we didn't have enough time left in our session before people had to leave to, to kind of like wrap up everything. So we had to do like a wrap up uh, through uh, text chat the following week where we're kind of mm-hmm. like, well, what do you do now that now that the, the big bad evil guy has been destroyed and things like that? And it's like, well, I kind of do this. This is my typing motion. This is why I'm making my arms go back and forth. But uh, yeah. And so I was going to ask you like, like your climactic, awesome final battles how do you make them more epic? Do you add NPCs for them to control? Do you just kind of keep the tension high? Because if we didn't have those NPCs, we would have died really quick to the amount of monsters they gave us. So in my hmm. mind, I'm like, I think we could have had a six-hour session be three or maybe even four hours if we just weren't controlling all of these extra characters. But then my right. dungeon master was saying, you guys have been recruiting this army for so long, it felt dumb to not have you have the army during the final battle. And I was like, point taken. You're right. (laughs) Like that would have been kind of frustrating. Had we, we did this whole side quest to get all these Aladrin on our side. And then we can't use the Aladrin for our final battle. Seems kind of like, Hmm, that's kind of, I don't know. Or do you roll in secret? One of the things our dungeon master did is our wizard turned into a dragon to fight this other dragon. And he rolled in secret to see how they're doing in the air, fighting each other. And then, the evil dragon ended up winning. So our wizard plummeted back to earth. The evil dragon landed with like half of its hit points. And that's when we, you know, stepped in to take care of it. So, uh, have you done these super long epic battles? How do you handle them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, battle of Tribor for my players will be the big one where it went over three sessions. Each wow. session was probably two and a half hours to three hours on. You can watch it. It was during storm King's thunder and the Battle of Tribor is a huge force that is being led by two giants mm-hmm. that has a bunch of orcs and a bunch of magnums with them, and they're there to burn the city down. And the things are supposed to do specific things, like the the orcs are supposed to come in and create chaos first, and then the magnums are supposed to burn things down to get smoke in the air because the giants want to get to the center of town to get something out. So they have very specific things they want to do, and it's huge forces of stuff, and your players are there. Not only in that battle, you give in that, you give each player an NPC to play from the town. So one is the retired adventurer bartender. One is the blacksmith up in the north. One is the magical shop owner. One, And they all have their abilities. So each yeah. player got one of those, and they were playing that character too. And it was a long, drawn-out battle, huge, sprawling map. People were everywhere. Things were going bad because the group was mostly spread out, and they couldn't re- really ever get a good focus fire on stuff and the battle went on and on and on i think during it there were many parts or at times where some characters were very involved especially the people that like to be tactical and like to move minis around Mm. on the map and thinking about their next turn and what they're going to do they were really into it and then there were other people that are more there about the story and they didn't really care so much about the the intricacies so maybe at points that they were bored but the one thing i always kind of fall back on that no matter how the session went as far as watching people's faces and how they're engaged. If you talk to them a week or two later, after all of it's said and done, every single one of them has a mini movie of how that went. Yeah. And they have, they have now created this narrative that can just run in their minds about this battle of Tribor. When I say that to my players, that means something because they lived through it, you know? And even though, it took us a while to get through the mechanics of it to figure out how it all worked out. The story they remember weeks later, months later, years later is always way better than, well, we spent seven hours rolling dice to try to figure out how this worked. So I try not to worry too much about those big battles. So I like a big battle. I like a battle that has lots of different things happening in it at the same time, instead of just, I've gotten away from enjoying one big bad thing players beat on or try to figure out how to beat one big bad thing yeah that's that doesn't feel so much fun to me anymore whereas bad guy lieutenant bunch of other cannon fodder and the players are having to deal with all of that and there's some type of time constraint or or there's some reason and maybe they have allies or maybe there's things that are going to come in and help them and those are the things that make it dramatic and epic and, and it swings 
you know, one way to the other. They feel like they're on top. They feel like they're all about to die. They feel like they're back on top again. That stuff's great. And then when they think about the end of it, it's just like when they remember it, they remember it better than it played out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they don't remember the boredom of that, you know, waiting for my turn because there's six people in front of me going or or that kind of thing. So I love big battles, but I realize there is a large group of role players out there that like doing dialogue and like interacting with NPCs and like figuring out mysteries and puzzles and um, combat is just kind of like, can we just roll and get kind of get that done and we can just move on to the next, you know, what cool mystery is out there, what cool NPC we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've gathered a lot of players that are very tactical because I run a tactical game. And I think anybody that doesn't like a tactical game probably slowly moves on from my games because I do them so much. So I love a big battle. I was thinking of like, if Jordan was going to run this because big battles seem fun, but they also felt exhausting um, that I, I would have said here, you've got, I don't know. I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't be like, I would have run it like this, but like, (laughs) if I'm going to run a big battle um, and you have all of these, like you have your army and you have their army. I would just be like, where do you want to position that army and let them go off and let them fight. And like, you're still controlling your character. You're trying to deal with this. Maybe you're shouting orders to try and, and, and make things happen with certain mm-hmm. things. But, uh, and, and I guess if the players really want to, they can roll those stats to have this army attack this army. But, uh, overall just be like, no, I'm just going to kind of roll behind the screens. Like I'll roll percentile dice and just see how they're doing. And then give updates throughout the fight, like, oh, it looks like you're a Ladrin or losing to the Drow. Like, how do you want to? How do you want to? Do you want to reinforce with other people from over here? Do you want to do this? Okay, cool. As a top of the round initiative count twenty, we deal with that, and then we go through whatever they're dealing with on a on a on a small basis, I guess, instead of the larger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can have cool environmental effects, like the dragon sweeps down on initiative count one and blows fire down. And so you guys all have to make dexterity saves. And then your pet dragon comes in and, and like takes out half the drow with his flame breath or something like that. And so you can kind of direct that. And I think that still has that big battle feeling without the like rolling small little mechanical things all the time uh, mm-hmm. and to, to kind of see. And so... I, I was looking for a way of like, how can you just speed this up, but still keep that feeling of like epicness. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just preference. Like Jordan wants that. And there is strongholds and followers. That's right. But uh, I feel like we're going to get better rules in the Knights and Warfare <laughs> section, or we're going to get better rules when he releases his second book for that. Um, yeah. Because to me, us controlling our Aladrin NPCs was the exact same as Colville's stuff. Like mm-hmm. we had one Eladrin mini that represented like five to 10 squad of people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of exactly what Colville had, has done. Like you, you represent a group this way. Um, but even then I just feel like we're, we're turning it into too much of a, a tactical war game as opposed to a role-playing game. Oh. And yeah. And I, I want more of like a narrative role-playing game. So yeah. I don't know. And you're right. It comes down to preference, but that was yeah, yeah. the really interesting thing. Um, we ended up defeating our, our big, bad evil guy. He was in a giant mech suit, which was kind of cool. And I had a gun, a bazooka cut type gun that could interfere with his, the mechanics of his suit. So I'm shooting at joints. So he can't like move anymore. <laughs> he can't shoot his guns and stuff, um, forcing him out of this mech so that we can attack and destroy him. Um, but we ended up winning, which was really cool. I survived with one hit point, which was amazing. And then, uh, moving on, not tomorrow, but next week, we're going to start acquisitions incorporated with a uh, level one characters. So the cycle of D and D continues. <laughs> so what kind of level one character are you whipping up? You got a concept have, in mind? Yeah, I've got a, uh, fire sorcerer. Um, Ooh. so I'm going to, I'm going to lean heavily on the fire spells. And then I took the elemental adept feat to get uh my fire spells can't be resisted by a creature that has resistance to fire um so i'm gonna be a fire sorcerer he's a uh dragon heritage so his father was a dragon and then that ties into my background where um everybody knows who i am because of my father who is this like well-known dragon within the area and i'm trying to live up to his expectations basically or i'm trying to live up to his celebrity status 
and make a name for myself as opposed to just being, you know, so-and-so's son. What's the subclass you're thinking about doing on that? Uh, So it's not wild magic. It's not. No, it's the dragon one. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. I thought you were just describing backstory. (laughs) No, no, no. So that's the subclass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Cool. So um, that'll be a lot of fun. And he gets scales if he wants or that kind of thing. He's got scales. So he's got a higher AC. He's got more hit points. Um, Eventually he'll be able to fly at like level 15 or something silly. He gets wings, which is kind of cool. So uh, (laughs) no, we're all really excited. And our dungeon master has been reading it and he's like, it's just so funny. So I think I'm surprised not more more people are streaming this Acquisitions Incorporated game. And maybe I will, because like, it just seems like, like I need to play through it first, but I was like, if it's really fun, like I wouldn't mind running it because uh, I love Ack Inc. And I think the comedy is there. Um, and our dungeon master was even saying that like the book is written to help you hit the jokes and make the comedy real. That's so cool. It's going to be a Very lot of fun. Cool. Love Ack Inc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've got five minutes left. Do you want to talk about your games or <laughs> mine? Mine were pretty simple stuff. I didn't need too much. Did you have anything else on your? your no, I think or... that's it. I just wanted to talk about long yeah. combat sessions because right. that's what came out of that game, and I thought that was interesting. And yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, my Monday night was seeking Revenor. We did. We played. Um, they had a really. They attacked the pyramid, the Black Pyramid. So we ended the session where they were sitting on a hill looking at it, and it gave them a whole week before we played the next session to kind of come up with a plan and decide what they wanted to do. And I think they did one of those things where they talked about a plan all week and then definitely changed it that night as we started playing, just decided to go full frontal charge basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, which is a lot of how my groups seem to tackle problems, which is by headbutting them. Um, so they just love just, just run up and face first everything. So we had this nice epic charge of a paladin on his war mount, riding down the mountain, up the stairs of the Black Pyramid, jumping over a barricade and just all the way to the back of the pyramid, which worked out for the first time for them because they've attacked this thing before where somebody always goes down the stairs at the back of the pyramid to get reinforcements. But the Paladin made it all the way to the back and made it so that that couldn't really happen. So for the first time ever, they were able to wipe out this first level and no but he went downstairs to get reinforcements. So this is already different for them. So that was pretty good. It worked out. Um, They were talking about it the next day. They were talking about it at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning on the Discord. Um, They had talked about it all week, and they were ready to play again this coming Monday. So that's always a good feeling for a dungeon master. I was telling Jordan about that when we were kind of talking over the week, that you know, if you're ever feeling down, just go have a place where your players can talk about the session and go back and look at that, what happens after one of your epic sessions, because it just feels good to hear them say, that was the best, and this is the greatest time, and this was the best thing we've ever done, and all that kind of cool stuff, because you just you're like, all right, we did it. That was good. <laughs> um, the other thing that was cool about that is, oh, this week we're going to have a guest play the part of one of our other characters, because uh, Logan has to do something for a play, He's doing a, his wife is creating the 1984 play for Western and he does all the filming of it. So they do, he does all the video production for it. So he's going to be doing that stuff. Um, So we're going to have a friend of Mars who plays on Wednesday night. He's going to come in and play rock the barbarian for us. And he'll probably do a good imitation of it, which is pretty cool. Wednesday night is our tomb of annihilation game. Um, We are at the tomb. We're at the door nice. of the tomb. We've done all the stuff that you do in that adventure without too many spoils. Hopefully it's not a spoilers that we're playing tomb of annihilation that we've gotten to the tomb. Um, we had some big battles. We almost made eighth level after having huge amounts of battle, killing tons and tons and tons of guys, four five, six different rolling battles. We thought we had enough. We thought we'd amassed enough XP to level twice. We had fought so much stuff. Um, and then the reality was it, we came up 355 points short. Oh, as a DM, Jordan, what would you do? You got just three. And this is at the higher we, levels. We ran now, into lower a, levels. We ran into a similar situation with my ghost of salt marsh game. And, uh, I talked it over with my players where I'm like, well, if you guys want experience points, I don't want to make experience points worth nothing if I just let you level. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, no, a healthy mix of milestone and XP. Like, if the XP isn't getting us to where the DM wants us to be, 
the DM yeah. should just be like, no, you guys can get to level five. And that's kind of what I've done. So uh, I've done a, and I did a mix of that because we had a couple players come in and say things like, um, uh, Jordan, I'm 80 experience away from level four. Can I just hit level four? And I, yeah, you can. So yeah, we, we've, yeah. we've, we've agreed that it's okay to kind of do both. So, yeah. So we'll see how our, uh, how our dungeon master handles it coming up this Wednesday. Um, I did nearly die. I, I, we almost had to enact, I'm a wizard, so I don't have a ton of hit points at level seven. I think I'm at 36 hit points total, 37. And we fought at the very end. Um, the group had two wizards of their own. And they went on the same initiative and they hit all of us with a cone of cold back to back, two of them. And he rolled big damage and I missed my saves. And I thought I was actually going to have to haul out the rule of you've taken so much damage negative that your character actually just outright dies. It got that close. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was probably within about seven or eight hit points more. And that would have been it. There would have been no death saves. There would have been nobody healing me. That would have been character over starting, starting a new one, which is never bad for me. Cause I love making new characters though. I do love my character I'm playing right yeah, now. And I would be a little a, sad a if he died. Catch 22. <laughs> I love making new characters. So I'm always good with that. So a GM who does kill my character, I'll never, I'll never be too mad at them. Cause I'll always look at the opportunity to be able to create another one, but that's, What's going to happen? So we're going to get a Monday and a Wednesday night game coming up. And uh, I think those are going to be great. They're going to be fun. We'll be streaming those this week. Um, other than that, I think that's about it. Didn't have too much to talk about in the games. Everything came up as normal rule-wise. Um, so we kind of didn't run into anything that I thought we would we would discuss too much. So I think that's about it. All right. Well, so we did it's it. time for us to close out our show. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us live. Uh, we're still trying to hit a thousand subscribers. So tell your friends about the show. Maybe they'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and we're looking for YouTube subscribers. Um, you can always subscribe to Lucian on Twitch or follow him on Twitch. I think that's what it's called on mm -hmm. Twitch. Um, uh, and, but for, we get, we get, YouTube things unlock at a thousand subscribers. So that's kind of why we're trying to get there. Yeah. That's why so, we're making the big push there. Yeah. We're, we're doing it on Twitter. We're telling everybody we can talk about to get so. that YouTube channel up just a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, and then we we'll some... stop bugging you every day. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you guys so much for coming out. Thank you for really awesome chat today. We had a lot of great chat in both Twitch and YouTube people going back and forth and, and it was awesome to have your guys's input. Um, mm -hmm. We're excited for Eberron or Jordan is at least. Uh, you're probably going to buy the book anyway, because let's be honest, you're Lucian and you'll, you'll buy it. Yeah, so gotta have them all. <laughs> uh, thanks again, everybody. We will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday morning D and D show. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Oh, look, we got a follower right at the end. Thanks follower. Bye. Oh no, I feel bad. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.